Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wing will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me, into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The title of the message this morning is this, Trusting God Through Life's Trials. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to understand uh, the sermon this morning, and Lord, to be able to put ourselves where David was when this was written, and Lord, to be able to understand the gravity of the darkness of the hour of his life, and then Lord, to be able to pull from his response, and Lord, weigh that against our responses, and then, Lord, make adjustments necessary so that we can handle life's trials in a way that shows you that we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I wonder how many of you this morning are going through a trial in your life. As the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, I know about many hardships that many of you are battling, but I do not know about all of them. Some of you here, you put on a good front. You come in the church door and you you smile real big. But you are hurting deeply on the inside. Sometimes life can feel as though you're being squeezed. Pressures and expectations come from every side. People who you love that attack you unfairly or... They let you down. A rash of medical problems for you or someone you love dearly. Sometimes it is our own actions, is it not, that can send us into a downward spiral. And that downward spiral can last for years. I am the type of person where personally I can handle one or two big problems uh, really, really well. But once that list of problems begins to grow... Life can seem quite overwhelming. There are times where you just want to crawl into bed and pull the pillow or the covers up over your head and just pretend as though the world no longer exists. It is what you do in these moments that will make you or break you as a child of God. In Psalm 57, we find David at one of the darkest hours of his life. He is being chased by King Saul who wants to kill him. 
He has had to uproot his mom and dad off of their farm and relocate them to the nation of Moab for their safety. He has become the most wanted man in Israel, and he hasn't even done anything wrong. Look back with me at the 57th chapter of Psalm, and look right below where it says Psalm 57. This would be prior to verse 1, and this is just as inspired as verse 1 itself. Look there, I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names. If you are an expert in Hebrew names, then you'll have to forgive me for botching these. We'll give it our best shot. Look there, it says, To the chief musician, uh, Al-Tashchith, uh, Mitchtam of David. Look here. Where, uh, look at the next phrase here. It says, When he fled from Saul... In the cave. Where was David living? He was living in a cave. Living in a cave. How many of you here have ever been spelunking in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever gone and explored a cave. I have. A few of you have. Not too many of you. I don't think there's too many caves up here in Connecticut. Uh, but, uh, you know, going and, and exploring a cave is fun. You see bats on the wall. Uh, some of you ladies, uh, your hair stands up on the back of your neck thinking about that. But uh, they're generally asleep and docile. But you, uh, I've never been in a darker environment than a cave. It is so dark you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Um, there are there are ponds and and lakes even in some caves, and you have to crawl along little ledges. And um, uh, it's it, it may be a neat place to explore. But um, it's just as much fun when you walk out of the cave and you feel a sense that you're okay, that you made it. Going in a cave is fun. Coming out of the cave is even better. And here David is in this cave and he's having to live there because the most powerful man in his country, who is also his father-in-law, is trying to kill him because he's jealous of him. David had not done anything wrong, per se, at least not against Saul. And now David wants to kill him. Twice David has now hid from Saul in a cave. As we read the chapter and compare it to the stories in the book of 1 Samuel, it would appear that this psalm was written while he was in the second cave, the cave of Engedi. David and 600 soldiers were surrounded by King Saul and 3,000 soldiers. They were trapped in a cave and it seemed as though it was just a matter of time until David would be killed. I've had some bad days in my life, but I've never had a day as bad as this. What did David do when he faced his fiercest trials? What did David do? Well, the 57th Psalm says that he trusted God. I propose that God has called his people to trust him and him alone through the trials of life. When it feels as though your world is crashing down on top of you, God wants you to turn to Him and trust Him to carry you through. Let's look at the 57th Psalm this morning and let's look at three thoughts on how David trusted God through his trial and how that we can do the same. We'll look at the first three verses and then the next set of three verses and then our third point will cover the rest of the chapter. Notice point number one of the message this morning, David's 
fear. David's fear. And below that letter A, David says this in verse 1. He says, Lord, hide me. Lord, hide me. Look at the first verse of the 57th Psalm there. It says, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wing will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Again, David is hiding in a cave and Saul is in hot pursuit. He has him surrounded by 3,000 of the choicest uh, uh, soldiers uh, that Israel can offer. And they're looking for him. They're right on top of him. And David says this. He says, Lord, my life is in danger and very well could end. I trust you. He says, Lord, he says, I'm going to hide under the shadow of your wing. David, you have done everything you can to tactically evade Saul and his army. But an insider has given you up, uh, given rather given up your general whereabouts. King Saul is closing in on you. He has you surrounded. He wants to kill you. What are you going to do, David? David says, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and ask him to hide me in the shadow of his wing. Did you know the same wing of the Almighty where David hid is available to all of God's children? Some choose to handle life's trials on their own and run from God's protection. Some choose to run to other sources and other people and other help. And they, they choose to find uh, uh, help uh, through their own strength or through the strength of someone else. And God says their wing, their, uh, their help uh, pales in comparison to the shadow of my wing and the help that I can offer, the, the, the protection that I can offer. I think of Jesus as he walked the earth and he stood away from Jerusalem, maybe up on a hill, and he looked down on the city as the people were going about their business and the affairs of life. And Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, while overlooking the city of Jerusalem, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wing, and ye would not. I wanted to bring you in under my wing. I wanted to provide for you the refuge and the help. I wanted to take care of you, but you were too busy figuring it out on your own. You were too busy calling on the name of others. You were too busy doing it your way. And David says, Lord, I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to depend on me. I'm surrounded. I've done all I can do. Lord, I am calling out to you. I trust you. I'm going to hide under that, uh, the shadow of that wing. As I mentioned in the uh, beginning of the service, we got a dog this week for Christmas and we named her Ginger and Ginger is 13 weeks old and uh, we put a collar on her and a leash on her. We took her out for a walk for the first time this week and about four do- doors down from our house on the left hand side, there's one of these, uh, th- there's one of these people that have two really big dogs. I don't know if they're Rottweilers, but they're as intimidating as Rottweilers and 
They have one of those invisible fences around to keep the dogs in the yard. Well, uh, our dog does not know that those dogs cannot leave the yard. And so little Ginger's walking down the road and sees those dogs and begins to, to fret and fear. And, and, and my, my son Matthew's taking her for a walk and picks her up and holds her close. And she's so nervous that she's shaking. And he puts his hand against her ribcage and can feel her heart racing. And my son was able to calm her and soothe her during that. My friend, when you have life raging against you and life is raining down on top of you, God says, will you come to me? Will you hide under the shadow of my wing? You can shiver and fear, but do so in my presence and I'll take care of you. Letter A, Lord, hide me. David says in verse 2, Lord, hear me. Look at Psalm 57 verse 2. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. First, David asked God through the time of trauma and trial to hide him under the shadow of his wing. Then David turns to God and says, while I'm here under your wing, I have a prayer that I would like for you to hear. What was David's cry? Uh, Perform on my behalf, David says. I've given it everything I've got and King Saul is still going to find me and kill me. Lord, will you protect me? Lord, will you perform for me? You may remember that back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel had anointed, the prophet Samuel had anointed the young lad David, who was just the keeper of the sheep. He had anointed him to be Israel's next king. The word perform here in the Hebrew means many things throughout the Bible, but one of the things that this word means, it means to perfect, to perfect. David here is praying in the second verse of the 57th Psalm. He's saying, Lord, perform on my behalf so that you can perfect the work that you have begun in me. Turn over to Psalm 138. Hold your place in 57. Just a handful of pages over 138. And look with me at verse number 8 here. David, in another time of his life, calls out to the Lord here through a declaration. And then at the end of this declaration, a prayer, verse 8 of the 138. 38th Psalm says this, it says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Notice his confidence here. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. I love the rest of the verse here. It says, forsake not the work of thine own hands. I think of a painter standing in front of a canvas and he gets halfway through the painting. And to me and you, it looks, it looks like a mess. It looks like a disaster. It looks as though nothing uh, beautiful can come from it. And the artist maybe is even feeling frustrated in the middle of the painting. And he walks away. And David says, Lord, I'm a half-finished painting. And I'm not quite done. And it's been a frustrating process. But Lord, don't you dare neglect. Don't forsake the work of thine own hand. You have a work to do in me. You anointed me to be king and uh, there's been uh, I've had to take the long route to get there but Lord perfect in me that which you have begun Oftentimes when the storm is uh, over us in life and we feel as though it's raining cats and dogs with problems and we wonder where God is uh, and we call out to God, we cry out to God and your prayer should be, Lord, you have begun a good work in me. Will you perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ? Lord, hide me. Verse 2, Lord, hear me. Verse 3, David cries out, letter C, notice, Lord, help me. 
Lord, help me. Look at verse 3. He shall sin from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Let's look at this verse carefully for a moment. And notice here that David uh, is very confident in what the Lord will do for him. He shall send forth from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Now the word selah means think on these things. But I think here there's a little bit more umph, a little bit more pizzazz to the word selah. He's here, he's saying, what do you think about that? The Lord's going to step in and he's going to bail me out of that spot. What do you think about that? And then as though he's calling on two angels from the Lord to save him, it says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. He is treating mercy and truth as though they are the angels of the Lord that will rescue him. Let me remind you again, David here is trapped in a cave. The circumstances are bleak, but notice the confidence that God would indeed save him. The confidence in his voice as he pens these words. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 24. And hold your place in Psalm 57 and then hold your place in 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to go back and forth between the two passages because they're tied together in Scripture. 1 Samuel 23. We're going to read from verse 24. Down through verse number twenty nine. Again, David is a uh, is is on the run. He is he is uh, uh, the most wanted man in Israel. His face is hung in all the post offices. He's an all bulletin all points bulletin has been put out. Uh, no doubt, a bounty maybe was even on his head. If you turn him in, you will be paid. Look at verse twenty four. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of uh, Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him and they told David wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of my own and when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of my own and Saul went on this side of the mountain and David and his men went uh, on that side of the mountain and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul for Saul and his men compassed David that means they had him surrounded and his men round about to take them But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called the place Selah Hama Halekoth. Whatever that says. And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. Now, I don't know how to pronounce that long word, but I do know what it means. You know what David named that rock in, in English? He named it the rock of escape. The rock of escape. Saul had David surrounded. I mean, it wasn't like in Psalm 57 where David's in a cave and Saul is close but doesn't exactly know where he is. Saul knew where David was. He had him pinned. They were squeezing down in on David. And no doubt there was a battle that had even ensued. And Saul is right on the heels of having his arch enemy David killed. And a message comes to Saul and says, The Philistines have invaded. It is an emergency. We must come now. And all of a sudden, Saul's men who were winning the battle retreat. And David is left saved. You know what David did here? David now is trapped in the cave in Getty. Just another chapter later, chapter 24, we find David trapped. And David in Psalm 57 verse 3 is saying, not the Lord might save me. He's saying the Lord will save me. Where did David get this confidence? David looked over his shoulder and said, just a chapter prior, the Lord came through for me. 
the Lord anointed me to be king, he is going to come through for me again. You see the confidence there? Let me speak here for a moment to those of you who are uh, uh, babes in Christ or new Christians in the Lord. Maybe you've only been coming to church for a few weeks or months or years and uh, you have not yet built up those experiences that come with being a Christian. Uh, let me tell you the joy of sticking this thing out a long time and being in church week after week and month after month and year after year and being faithful to church. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I've seen in my life and uh, others have seen in their lives that have been doing this a while is you get yourself into a bad spot, whether you put yourself there or uh, circumstances put you there and you watch God come through over and over and over and over again. And then you get yourself in another tough spot and you say, okay, Lord, I know you're going to come through again. I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't know how late into the night it's going to be before you come. No doubt it will be the 11th hour, but it might be the 11th and a half hour. I don't know how late it's going to be, but I know you're going to come through for me. Lord, you did it this time and that time and that time and that time. And no doubt you're going to do it yet again. Boy, David here is trapped. They're closing in on him. But he says, the Lord will help me. The Lord will help me. Number one, we see David's fear. Number two, notice David's foe. David's foe. Letter A below number two, notice the enemy's strength. Go back to the 57th Psalm. Again, hold your place in 1 Samuel. 57th Psalm and look at verse number four. The the Bible says there, my soul is among lions. Notice how he describes Saul's army. And I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. Notice the strength here. And their tongue a sharp sword. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and look at verse number 1. And we see why David is describing um, uh, the enemy with such fierceness. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines. Now just a moment here. You remember he had David trapped. He was closing in on David. He was getting ready to kill David in the end of the 23rd chapter there. And uh, uh, the, the call to retreat happened. They had to go fight off the Philistines that were invading the country and threatening the city of Jerusalem. Now, Saul has gone back to Jerusalem. He's defeated the Philistines. He's regrouped. He's regathered. David has now fled to En Gedi. And someone there has seen David and has given up his whereabouts and come back. And David's, or rather Saul's CIA, if you will, has given up uh, David's whereabouts to Saul. So Saul now is going to go back out and look for David and have him killed. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from uh, following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took, look here, 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel. Now, uh, if this had been in today's terms, this would have been equivalent to picking the special forces. 3,000 special forces Soldiers going to the army and picking the top uh, of what the army has and what the Marines have, getting a SEAL team and and, and getting uh, what the Navy has to offer and getting what the Air Force has to offer, getting the best of the best. And the Coast Guard is going to watch guard because that's all they do. Amen. And so um, all the military men got that one. And so if you're in the Coast Guard, we love you. Thank you for your service. Don't be offended. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. All right. So these soldiers get together and they're coming after David. This isn't just 3,000 infantrymen. This isn't just 3,000 first-class, what's it, first-class privates. This is the elite of the elite are coming to get David. 
Now, how many of you here have ever seen any documentaries or footage of when the SEAL team closed in on and killed Osama bin Laden? How many of you have seen that? I loved watching that. And um, if I'm wrong for loving that, the Lord will have to correct me later. But that man hurt a lot of Americans. I was glad to see him go down and, uh, and, and all those things. Can I tell you that these men that David or that Saul chose, they were just as capable as those men were. These were fierce warriors. And, and the enemy is strong here. They're coming in to kill David. They have one mission in mind. That is to capture or to kill. Dead or alive. Either you kill him if he fights or you capture him so Saul himself can kill him. The enemy's strength, let her be notice, in verse 5, we see the enemy, or rather verse 6, we see the enemy snare. Look at verse number 6. They have prepared a net for me, Psalm 57. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah, think, think about that. Go back to verse 2 of 1 Samuel 24. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rock of the wild goats. Now again, if you take the time to read 1 Samuel 21, 22, 23, 24. By the way, if you enjoy uh, uh, military stuff, if you enjoy war history, if you uh, maybe were even a soldier yourself, let me encourage you to read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And uh, you'll see a lot of the, the wars that took place during this time. You'll see how David was a warrior himself and, and a lot of the tactical uh, whereabouts that went on here and some of David's mighty men and the, and the feats they accomplished here. But here they have, they have laid a net. What's that mean? These 3,000 men have spread out and they are vigilant. They're coming after David. They have laid a trap for him. They have him surrounded and David is all but a dead man. Does it ever feel like the enemy has you surrounded, Christian? Does it ever feel like life circumstances are just taking like a club and hitting you on the head over and over and over again? And you don't know where to go. Now, you may not be trapped in a cave with your life at stake, but it can feel as though emotionally you are. Listen to what 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is on the loose. He's, he is seeking for his prey. He walks about circling the prey, looking for a chance to pounce. And if it wasn't for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who puts a hedge of protection around us, he would rip us all to shreds. Why? Because you were made in the image and likeness of God and Satan hates God and you represent God and he wants nothing more than to destroy your life. Boy, he set snares for us. Uh, uh, Ephesians 6 talks about the fiery darts or wiles of the devil, how he fires them at us. And if we don't put on that armor of God each and every day, Satan will get one of those wiles, those fiery darts in us, and he will seek to destroy us. The enemy's strength, the enemy's snare, let her see, notice God's sovereignty. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 57. It says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Look down at verse number 11. The same verse, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory 
be above all the earth. You know what David's saying here? He lays out the enemy's strength in verse 4. He lays out the enemy's snare in verse 6. And right in the middle in verse 5, he talks about God's sovereignty. He says, Lord, you're above Saul. You're above his mighty men. You're above the elite forces that are with him. He says, Lord, stand above the heavens and flex your muscles and show off your strength and show them who's in charge. Lord, I may be outnumbered with me and my 600 men, but with you on my side, we are guaranteed to come out victorious. Listen to this quote. We must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. We must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. Sometimes we are left to wonder why God allows certain things to happen. We are left to wonder if God just up and disappeared during the most crucial junctures of our lives. We must remember that His glory is above the earth. He sees the long-term plan, or He sees the big picture. The story is told about a Lutheran pastor who lived in, his, who lived in the Soviet bloc of Europe. This pastor had a very attractive daughter who worked for a government party secretary. The young woman was given an ultimatum. Be the mistress of this party secretary or have her father's church shut down and her father imprisoned. A very horrible ultimatum for any young woman to be given. Eventually, she would cave to the pressure and become this man's mistress. Upon discovery that she was pregnant, she hung herself and left a suicide note in her pocket explaining the details of how she had been treated. Another government official discovered the body and the note. A new suicide note was forged and placed in her pocket. This note claimed that the girl's father had raped her and that she could no longer live with the guilt. The pastor's church was shut down and the pastor was imprisoned and then beaten by the other inmates for a crime he had not committed. You may be left to wonder why God or how God could allow all of this to happen. A few years later, this pastor received a new cellmate. Who was his new cellmate? It was the party secretary who had impregnated his daughter. He had been locked up for embezzling money. This pastor, even knowing the details, found it in his heart to forgive this man who had so wronged him. This pastor was able to share with this man about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and this man was saved. God's glory is above the earth. We, may, we must learn to trust God even when we cannot trace God. David's fear, number one. David's foe, number two. Notice lastly, number three, David's focus. David's focus. To everyone here this morning that struggles through uh, tr- trying times, and maybe it seems as though you face them more than the average person, or it feels as though you face them more than the average person, I would encourage you to really sit up straight and tall and listen to what David had to say in the rest of the chapter. Again, remembering that he's trapped in a cave. His life is at stake. Letter A, notice David's plan. David's plan. Look at Psalm 57 and verse number 7. It says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. While in the cave, David's mind was racing. His emotions were all over the map. 
His family was afraid and had to be relocated. His men were on edge. What did David do? He fixed his heart on God. He chose to place his focus, beginning with his heart, beginning with his emotions, on the God who is ultimately in control. Psalm chapter 25, verse 2, the Bible says this, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. You're in Psalm 57. Look up one chapter at Psalm 56 and look at verse number 3. And this is a verse my mother quoted to me oftentimes as a little boy when I was afraid of the dark. She would say, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Boy, Christian, it isn't a sin to fear, but it is a sin to fear and not run to the presence of God and trust Him in that fear. What time I am afraid, David said, I'm not going to go trust in some man. I'm not going to go trust in some system invented by man. I'm not going to go trust in anything other than the God of heaven. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in Thee. Christian, I'm going to tell you this morning that God will test the limits of your trust. Are you listening this morning? He will test the limits of your trust. You'll grow to a level of trust. And God will bring a new problem in your life to see if He can't stretch you just a little bit more. Hey, this process doesn't stop. This process is going to continue until the day you die. Just ask Abraham, who was asked to plunge a knife into his son's chest. God stopped him, but he didn't stop him until he knew Abraham was willing to obey. Abraham, historians tell us, was 130 years old when that happened. Look with me in Psalm chapter 61. What do you do when your faith is being stretched out to a new level? Look at verse number 1. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. We see all the same elements from the 57th Psalm here. With one more added, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, I'm being squeezed, I'm being pressured, I'm being pulled in every direction. I don't know what to do. Look here, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Why? For thou hast been, notice the history here, thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. God is saying, hey, if you feel overwhelmed and you don't know where to go and and, and your emotions are all over the map and you feel as though you're just going to throw in the towel and quit, God is saying, your walk with me needs to be stronger. Your walk with me needs to be more real. Your walk with me needs to be deeper. Lord, uh, David said, lead me to the rock that is on a plane that is higher than I. David put my, David said, put my feet on a higher plane so I can learn a newer and more real walk with you, God. How about it today, Christian? Are you trusting the plan that God has laid out for your life? And when times get tough, are you running from God or are you running to God? David says, my heart is fixed. Yes, the, the enemy's out there. Yes, they're trying to kill me. Yes, I'm about to die, possibly. But my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. Unto thee will I sing praises. Letter A is plan. Letter B, notice his praise. His praise. Look at, let's look at the last four verses of the chapter this morning. And we'll see that these verses were most likely written after God 
had delivered David from King Saul's hand. By the way, we'll get into the details in a moment, but the way God delivered King David is quite hilarious. But before we get to that, let's look at the praise that David gives God after he's been delivered. Look at verse 8. Awake up, my glory. Awake. Psaltery and harp, I myself will awake early. You know what he's saying in verse 8? Hey, tomorrow morning I'm waking up extra early to walk with God. I'm going to sing and I'm going to shout and I'm going to praise and I can't wait for the sun to come up. In fact, I might beat the sun uh, coming up as I go seek to praise God. Look at verse 9. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. You know what David was saying here? He was saying, I am going to praise God. I'm going to praise him to my neighbors. He says in verse 9, I will praise thee among the people. He said, not only am I going to tell my neighbors, I'm going to tell the world. I'm going to tell the nations. He says here, I will sing unto thee among the nations. You know what he was saying? God came through for me in a big way. I'm going to tell everybody I can about the goodness of God in my life. God has come through for me again. And I'm going to tell anyone and everyone that will listen about the goodness of God in my life. You know, Christians that walk around with their bottom lip dragging the ground in a negative spirit uh, are Christians who are not focused on the right thing. Boy, we have so much good that God has given us, don't we? You know, if all Jesus ever did was save your soul, you have plenty to praise him for. If all God ever did was take you off the path of hell and put your feet on the path to heaven and promise you a home in heaven. Listen, it may rain and pour on your life for the rest of your days, but you have heaven to look forward to and you have a God to praise for that. The truth is, though, we have much more than heaven, don't we? The Bible tells us, it says, that his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We don't just praise God for what he did in the past. We can praise God for what he does in our present. Because every day his mercies are new. I want everybody to do something with me if you could right now. Take a deep breath in and out of your lungs. Could you do that? Who gave you that breath? Some of you are still breathing. You can't answer. Who gave you that breath? The Lord did. You know you're living on borrowed air. The very breath that you complain with is the breath that he gave you. Amen? We have so much to be thankful for. Boy, I I bet almost all of you, if not all of you, got some gift for Christmas. Didn't you? It may not have been a puppy as cute as Ginger. But you got something for Christmas. Hey, if you didn't get a gift for Christmas, God gave you another day of life, didn't he? Boy, that's a gift. That's a gift. His mercies are new every morning. Well, Pastor, how does the story end? How did David get out of the cave alive with 3,000 of the finest soldiers Israel had to offer surrounding him? A, a net laid, a snare laid. How did he get away from such fierce, a fierce army? Well, David's hiding in the cave of En Gedi. And is, he's there. It must have been a large cave. He's got his 600 men with him there in the cave. And one of the men on, on lookout watches as the king comes into the cave all by himself. The Bible tells us, and I love the discreetness of Scripture, the Bible tells us that Saul came into the cave to cover his feet. Well, what does it mean in the Scripture when it says that someone is covering their feet? It means they're going to the bathroom. 
So Saul came into the cave in a private moment to go to the bathroom. He's all by himself. While he's going to the bathroom, the, the watchman sees him there. And he comes to David and he says, he's vulnerable. Now is your chance. And David thinks about it for a minute and he says, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. But what he does is kind of funny. He goes up to David or Saul while he's going to the bathroom and he takes his sword and in a very stealth manner, he cuts off his robe. And he has a portion of his robe. And Saul walks out of the cave uncovered and embarrassed. And Saul doesn't know how it happened. He doesn't know where it came from. And he's too embarrassed to tell everyone. Saul quickly changes and gathers his men and begins to look somewhere else for David. And David now begins to feel smitten in his heart for how he has embarrassed God's man. David waits till Saul is a good distance away. And he comes out of the cave and from one cleft he calls out to Saul in another cleft. And he says, oh king, live forever. And he holds up the portion of the robe from Saul's garment. And he says, I could have killed you and I chose not to do it. Hey, Saul, I don't hate you. You're my father-in-law. You're my king. You have hurt me. You have embarrassed me. But I still love you. I don't want to kill you. I don't have any vengeance in my heart toward you. And Saul looks across to David and he says, You're a better man than me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've tried to chase you down and kill you over my own jealousy. Saul takes his men and he goes home. But David... David doesn't trust Saul, so David continues in the wilderness and stays in hiding. What I want you to see this morning is that David was in a situation where he should have died. And God delivered him yet again. Hey, Christian, I don't know what trial, what storm it is you're going through. I don't know if it's self-inflicted or others-inflicted. It may be a combination of the two. I have no idea necessarily, but I do know this. You need to pray to the Lord that He'll hide you, that He'll hear you, and that He'll help you. Where's your faith this morning? Are you trusting God through life's trials? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. How many say, Pastor, something in the sermon this morning the Lord used to help me? There's something in my life that needs to be tweaked and changed. Pastor, will you pray for me that during these trials of my life, instead of trusting anyone other but God, I will learn, like David, to trust the Lord.